I was transported. And I realized I have a rainbow. <laughs> that was just for me, right? right yeah. <laughs> have you asked yourself why churches like Hope exist? I think about it a lot. What are we doing here? What is our business? Really, the answer is simple. We are in the business of saving souls. You heard me right. What we're about is saving souls. Those of us who've had any brush with evangelical religion in our lives are apt to have an instantaneous negative reaction to that assertion. Soul saving? Our business? No way. (laughs) Not us. I don't blame you because I grew up in Tulsa during this rise of televangelism. Religion disguised as commerce and swindling. I'll just name it. And as a local minister, I've had a brush or two with evangelicals crossing my boundaries, personal boundaries. So I can automatically flinch when I hear someone talk about soul saving. But let me be clear. I make no claim that we're in the business of rescuing men and women from some afterlife spent in a literal place of torment called hell. I don't literal place <coughs> allergies. I don't believe in a place populated by for eternity by devils, demons, and the tortured souls of the dead. In fact, I don't make any claim to know what happens to us after we die, what happens to our body, or whether there is something beyond this life. But I do know, I do know that there are many kinds of private hells in which living humans of all kinds private hells where people dwell every day. These are these small personal hells of loneliness, meaninglessness, banality, hells of shame, hells of guilt, hells of loss, hells of failure, hells of imagined failure. There are as many kinds of these small hells as there are people who live in them. So a a Buddhist psychology I'm studying under, Tara Brock, calls these hells the trance of the small self. That's what zombies. She writes, we believe that we are the voice in our head, that we are the self-character in our story, and we believe that our view of the world out there is reality. From some of these small self-hells, as a church, we can and do provide a kind of salvation, a release, or at least, the very least, a respite. We're in the business of saving souls from these kinds of consuming individual hells of despair and disappointment. These hells drive people into exile and isolation, separated from community, as well as from their own essential goodness. As a church, 
we can get so caught up in the details of maintaining a building, raising money, doing service projects, balancing budgets, teaching children, making casseroles, solving problems, endlessly meeting and debating and discussing issues that we sometimes start to imagine that any one of these things is the main purpose of the church. We can get filled up with a sense of our own self-importance. We get distracted by these things for a while and forget that we are in the business of saving souls. There are people who come through our doors every Sunday who are not here because they're looking for Unitarianism, who are not here because they are looking for another place to give their time or their money, who are not here because they're in the process of rejecting any other brand of religion. They're here because they feel lost, lonely, and hurting even inside. Even though they may appear to the world to be just fine and dandy otherwise. They may have no particular interest in God or religion, our brand or any other brand for that matter. They just know that they've already tried everything else. Workaholism, alcoholism, drugs, inappropriate sex, therapy, overexercise, self-help, self-help groups, self-help books, there's nothing left for them to try. And besides that, we don't charge admission. Even the coffee is free and fair trade to boot. People come up the hill every week not even knowing, not even knowing what it is they're seeking. You don't even have to know what you're looking for to feel the need to set off in search of something, something more to life. Maybe Maybe it's not the fear of dying that compels people to go looking for something more in their lives. Maybe it's the fear that they're not really fully alive. You can have everything you want and need and yet find little meaning in life. You need salvation. So this month of May, we are exploring the themes of wholeness, salvation. Yes, that word salvation. If that word makes us flinch, it's because we've allowed others to steal the original meaning away. We've forgotten what salvation originally meant. So Forrester Church, a renowned UU minister, led a a church in mid-Manhattan, writes, salvation is really a state of wholeness, of health, It occurs in this lifetime when we are at peace with ourselves, united with one another, and in harmony with nature. One of my favorite poets and scholars, Kathleen Norris, she writes, the Hebrew word for salvation means literally to make wide or to make sufficient. I would like salvation on an airplane. I would like wide and sufficient chairs. (laughs) I would. The Oxford Companion to the Bible says that the primary meaning of the Hebrew and Greek words translated as salvation, they're really non-religious terms. We think everything that shows up in the Bible is religious. Nah. 
The Hebrew word usually comes from a military context and refer to victory over evil or rescue from danger in this life. And in the Gospels, in the Second Testament, salvation is often physical healing that people seek from Jesus. Relief from blindness, paralysis, leprosy. When he says to them that their faith has saved them, it is the Greek word for made you well that is employed. It seems to me that in so many instances in both the Hebrew scriptures and the Gospels, salvation is described in physical terms, in the terms of the here and now. So Hope Church's kind of salvation, our Unitarian Universalist kind of soul saving, is not about providing a free ticket to paradise. Heaven and hell are not places. They are ways of being, ways of feeling, ways of orienting one's soul or psyche in the world. The Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, and it's been poorly translated over the centuries as soul. A more accurate translation of nefesh is living being. It is the same word for pulse, for lifeblood, the feeling of being fully, vibrantly alive, pulsating with life, feeling joy, feeling pain, just feeling. You might call soul the quality of one's inner life or spirit. It's the center of the self, but not that small, hellish self. It is the internal wellspring from which the meaning of our life flows. So when that wellspring has dried up, when our lives have no joy, no hope, no reason for being, that is a kind of hell. That is hell, not a kind. The soul is not a spirit or a ghost or ephemeral thing. Whatever it is, pulse or psyche, it is that thing that makes us feel fully alive, fully animated, fully human. Often we have to hold still and train ourselves to hear that soul, that still small voice beyond the mental chatter that recognizes, that doesn't recognize our full connection to all things. Salvation is not about life after death, but about life itself, full throttle, in all its joy in agony. You know, there's so much in the world that has potential to deaden us, to anesthetize our spirits. So many things can make us feel emotionally and spiritually dead, dull, brittle. Too many things can create for each of us a private, personal hell. And the thing about those Hells, those personal hells, is that they're very small, they're tiny. There's only enough room for one person. Tara Brock calls it your spacesuit, protects you, but no one's allowed in. And when we dwell all by ourselves in our own private little hells, then our concerns and our sympathies and our awareness of the needs of others are squeezed out until all that matters is the self. There's no room in these small hells for anyone else or for any concerns. 
other than fearful, selfish ones? If the Hebrew word for salvation means to make wide or make sufficient, then it is our role as a church to help widen, deepen the lives of those who live for themselves alone. What saves us in the end is that extraordinary power and grace of ordinary people. It is love from heaven to earth come down. The holy incarnate made flesh in the form of men and women, old and young, caring and cantankerous, imperfect, easily wounded, full of all the faults and gifts that this poor flesh is heir to. There's a miracle for you. We are saved at last by the love and the fellowship of people no better or no worse off than we are. I've been asking at staff meetings and small groups and of friends, so who has saved you? People always pause and then immediately can think of extraordinary stories. I've heard everything from chance encounters with a stranger to these deep, long-lived relationships that save someone from their worst self, their small self, and help them discover their best, whole, expansive, sufficient space, loving self. The stories describe patience, seeing possibilities, maybe naming a a hidden truth. And thinking about my own saviors, I can name specific people and times, but I can also envision unknown people who I don't know, but who still had a profound impact on me, an ancestor's choice that brought me to Tulsa that had me being raised here, that allowed me to be a minister at a church in South Tulsa. Or a stranger's decision, someone who kept an organization going until at that point in my life I happened to arrive. I can name countless generous acts many of you here over the years have done that have been saving acts of support and understanding have been incredibly expansive. What liberates us from these tiny hills in which we dwell, where we're not fully alive, all alone, what saves us may be as common as a handshake, as ordinary as hearing your name spoken as simple as being asked to serve coffee, as profound as showing up over and over again. May it be so.